The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. The West Virginia Mountaineers take on the Minnesota Golden Gophers in the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. This is the Voice of Motown podcast, and I'm Tyler Peppy. I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right. The Mountaineers are four-point underdogs, and they will be looking to finish with a winning record in back-to-back seasons. This is the third time they have appeared in this bowl game. They lost to Missouri in 1998 when it was called the Insight.com Bowl. Then they defeated Arizona State a few years ago in a very memorable Cactus Bowl when Skylar Howard lit up the scoreboard against the Sun Devils. And hopefully we're in for another classic versus Minnesota. This is a quality opponent, though, and there will be a very good test for the Mountaineers. Lots of stories to dive into today. Players opting out of the bowl game, the late start time, the travel on the team and fans, so much more. So let's get into it. What are your thoughts on the guaranteed rate bowl? I think it's going to be a good challenge for WVU. I mean, Minnesota, um, obviously eight and four in the uh, Big Ten is a pretty big accomplishment. And, you know, their team's legit. I mean, they run the ball a lot, but their defense is tough. So um, there's going to be a lot to talk about there. And it's going to be a real challenge to see how uh, WVU can match up and scheme to hopefully pull out a win. Yeah, I'm with you. So uh, let's start off with the missing players because there's a lot of information here. Um, first off, let's talk about uh, the injuries. Michael Laughlin, Nick Troy Fortune, and X-Ray Lowe will miss the bowl game due to injuries. All three were starters when they were healthy. Now these guys, you know, Nick, especially Michael Laughlin, Nick Troy Fortune, they've been out several games. Um, but it's unfortunate that those three starters will still be out. Of course, WVU will be without Isaiah Esdale and others who transferred, but I'm pretty sure Esdale's the only starter who transferred, so that'll impact our offense. And then the biggest one probably is Letty Brown has opted out of the bowl game to preserve his body for the NFL, and uh, I can understand that decision. If if this was a playoff game or a high-ranking New Year's Day game like uh, the Rose Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl, I would probably be a little disappointed. But it's not worth risking your entire future on some freak injury for the guaranteed rate bowl. So, um, you know, it, it, it's just not. I'm sorry if fans are still upset or holding that against them. Um, but obviously, we'll miss him out there. So what are your thoughts on the missing key starters? Yeah, I think obviously Letty is probably the biggest um, just because, you know, he was the biggest part of our offense the past few weeks and he's extremely talented. He does so many different things for our team, um, even when it comes to pass blocking. So um, he's going to be missed. But the one thing that the opportunity that kind of excites me with that is that we get a little sneak peek for our running back uh, depth for next year um, because we'll see some of uh, uh, Williams. We'll see some uh, Mathis. Um, obviously we won't see Lynn J Dixon until next year and he, he's likely to see significant snaps, but, um, you know, it gives us a little preview to see a little bit more of, uh, at least Tony Mathis jr. Who ran really hard in that Kansas game. Um, you know, I would say probably the second most, um, important lost player would be, um, Micah Laughlin, just because we don't have any other tight ends on the roster besides Charles Finley. Um, you know, we had Parker Moore, who was our kind of 
uh, offensive tackle convert to uh, tight end after he lost the job to Wyatt Milam. Um, he's transferring. Uh, TJ Banks is transferring. So um, Charles Finley saw some snaps there at the end, but he didn't have any catches. He was mostly just in there for blocking. He's a redshirt freshman, I think. Um, and, you know, he, he's a guy who came in at college, only weighed about 215, I think. I'm not sure what he's up to now, but, um, you know, that's a tough challenge. And it's going to be interesting to see how WVU does because we did really well in those tight end sets. Um, and we already really didn't utilize tight ends often. Um, so does that mean we go more four and five wide? Um, and what does that mean for the team? Yeah, that, that's a really good point because um, Minnesota is very stingy with their run defense as is. And so now you don't have a, a tight end to stick out there and assist because their DNs are very good as well. So, yeah, I wonder what they'll do. I wonder if they'll go five wide a lot. Maybe if they'll bring in an extra lineman occasionally for some power run plays. Um, they're definitely going to have to get creative with it. So that's yeah, a good point. Absolutely. So um, next, we're going to talk about Kurt Soraka um, because obviously he's been in the headlines a lot lately. So Minnesota dismissed their offensive coordinator, and I doubt that changes their philosophy or their game plan very much. So I don't see that being an issue for them. But however, their new offensive coordinator is Soraka, and that name sounds familiar to West Virginia fans because Kurt was an offensive analysis or analyst, I guess you should say, for the Mountaineers during the 2021 season. Um, now, from what I'm hearing, Kurt Soraka is not coaching in the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. P.J. Fleck, Neil Brown, um, Soraka, they all seem to have a lot of respect for one another, and they've had private conversations about this weird situation because I'm not sure if this has ever happened before. And uh, it's hard to believe that Kurt, you know, he wouldn't share some information with Fleck. And so, obviously, in interviews, they're all saying the right thing. They they want to show respect for Neil Brown. and uh, But, yeah, it, it's hard to believe that they wouldn't at least be talking game planning for the Mountaineers prior to this game. But uh, who knows? Who knows? What are your thoughts on this unique situation? Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, on one hand, obviously, you want to win. Um, and since you are the offensive coordinator now of the team that is playing your former team, you know, you, you have some availability to inside information that could really benefit um, Minnesota. Um, so, you know, you could give things like tendencies, um, obviously hand signal play calls, those sorts of things. But, you know, the more I kind of think about it, um, I feel like something like that would kind of become obvious. Um, and that's a real smudge on someone's career um, if they would, you know, kind of be suspected of doing that before the game. So, you know, I'm sure that uh, Soraka is out there, you know, trying to, you know, prepare the players for the games without giving up too much information, just trying to play kind of the middleman until next season. Um, you know, next season, if they would play, I think all bets are off. You know, he would share all the information that he had, but being the situation as it is now, my guess and my hope would be that, you know, there's some sort of gentleman's agreement there where it's just like, you know, we know, you know, but we're not even going to ask. <laughs> And that is kind of what, you know, they're alluding to in some of the interviews I've seen. So maybe because, it you know, Fleck and Brown used to work together. So um, there is a relationship there. Um, but by the way, offensive analyst seems like the best job ever. I mean, I, I was reading up on what that entitles. And, and basically, he like looks down the road at other teams, what tendencies are and so on and so forth. And, you know, coaching 
of course would be fun, but the grind of it is always the nightmare that people, you know, might get scared of. But if that's your job, that sounds like, you know, you're getting a lot of the good and not so much of the bad of being a coach on a major program. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that's something that a lot of, um, you know, older coaches kind of go into or coaches who are transitioning back into a, a coordinator position. Um, I, you know, I think the analyst position was kind of made famous by Nick Saban, who kind of loaded his cupboard with um, former coaches who, um, you know, like I think um, Sarkeesian started out as an analyst before he moved to offensive coordinator because um, he filled in for Lane Kiffin after Kiffin left. Um, and Castile, whenever he came back to WVU, he started off as a defensive analyst before they moved to linebackers coach which I think actually happened um, during the season or maybe right before the season started. So it's a good way to kind of get really smart people on your staff without kind of breaking those limits that are set by the NCAA for how many coordinators you can have. Now there are some um, guidelines around it. Like you can't call plays. You can't like do certain things or else there's a violation for it. And I'm not exactly sure what the penalty is for that violation, but um, yeah, I mean, you get to kind of, help scheme and game plan and do all the fun stuff without really having to have too much blame put on you whenever your team looks bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's exactly it too. I mean, you get to be a part of it without, you know, everyone calling for your head when things aren't going right. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into Minnesota. Um, Minnesota scores about the same amount of points per game as WVU. Both stand at 26 points per game. So Minnesota, much like West Virginia, relies heavily on their defense for success. The difference between the two teams is the Golden Gophers run the ball 67% of the time, which is fourth in the nation. The three teams above them, Air Force, Army, and Navy, teams that just run the triple option, basically. So it's no secret what the Golden Gophers like to do. They play stingy defense, and they try to wear you out with a physical run game. It's very old school, and it'll be interesting to see how the Mountaineer defense holds up. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, kind of conversely, and it kind of makes sense considering how many rush attempts they have, but their pass attempts are bottom four in the nation behind that they're only ahead of Army, Navy, and Air Force. And that is per Chip Scoggins of the Star Tribune out of Minnesota, um, who wrote a really nice article kind of praising the hire of Soraka um, because the previous offensive coordinator apparently wasn't a fan just because of how much they ran the ball. And that's just astounding. When you think of the Naval Academies, how much they run, um, you know, how much their game is built around not passing the ball. And Minnesota's right there. Um, it's very strange to see in modern day, you know, college athletics for something to happen like like that, um, especially with a Big Ten school. Um, you know, just crazy. I mean, maybe you might see that in a small double or division two school or something, but in big time college football, 67% run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I mean, there's advantages and disadvantages to it, which we'll get into here in a minute. Um, so Minnesota, they're eight and four. And other than Ohio State, nobody has really been able to put them away. And uh, and it's what we were just talking about. That's because of their playing style that allows them to keep the games close. And um, they have some questionable losses to Bowling Green and Illinois. But they also have some impressive wins against Wisconsin and Purdue. So what do you think of their overall resume for the regular season? I think it's impressive for sure, especially with the adversity that they faced. I mean, 
they lost three running backs on the season, Bryce Williams, Trey Potts, and Mohamed Ibrahim, who actually Ibrahim was supposed to be their kind of star player this year, and they lost him in the first game of the season in that Ohio State game. So it was a big blow, and for them to bounce back and go eight and four um, is really impressive. Um, Trey Potts on the season, too, before he got injured, he already had over 500 yards rushing. Um, and now they're, they have two other backs who are both over 500 yards rushing as well. And Kai Thomas, who has 680 and five touchdowns, and Marquise Irving, who has 570 and four touchdowns. So it's just amazing. Both those players are freshmen that, mm-hmm. you know, they're on their fourth and fifth guys, and they're both still running right around five yards per carry. Um, and producing at a, at a pretty good clip. So, um, you know, good group of backs and, you know, Fleck must have did a great job of bringing in the right kids because it doesn't seem like they're dropping off too much. Yeah, heck of a coaching job and heck of a job just by the running back group. Um, it really leads me into right to the next thing I was going to say. On one hand, Minnesota's lucky because it appears none of their players are opting out. But on the other hand, like you said, they've had a rough season littered with injuries. Um, yeah, their top three running backs done for the year, Ibrahim, Williams, Potts, all season engine ending injuries. Um, but the classic next man up mentality for them, like you said, Thomas and Irving are going to be carrying the workload for them. Um, but they also have been carrying the workload really for the last six games for Minnesota. So it's not like they're coming in there real green and without a lot of experience. Um, you were talking about their yards combined for over 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns, just a dominant running game. And when you look at their offensive line, you know, y- you can see why. Full of seniors. Their entire offensive line are seniors. And some of them you're going to be seeing playing in the NFL. They have Daniel Fa'alela. Uh, Fa'alela, I think it's how you say it. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fa'alele, I think is how you say it. 6'9", 380-pound right tackle who will likely be drafted in next year's NFL draft. He already said he's leaving. Um, they also have first-team All-Big Ten pick, Blaze Andres, who plays right guard right next to that big old tackle. And uh, like we said, the rest of the line's good as well. I could go right down and tell you all of them, but they're just all very, very good. And it's going to be tough to slow down that running attack. Oh, yeah. And to call out a couple more players, um, John Michael Schmitz, their center. um, He was actually ranked as the fourth best center in college football by PFF, um, fourth highest grade. And their tight end, Co Keeft, I think that's how you say his last name was actually um, the number three ranked tight end for pro pro football focus. And his highest grade is in run blocking. So they just, their their whole front five or six, whatever you want to count it as, is just built to bulldoze forward for those running backs. Yeah, 100%. At quarterback, they have senior Tanner Morgan, who announced he's coming back next year. Um, he only averages about 20 passes per game. I think it was like 19.6, something like that. And obviously that's due to Minnesota's run heavy game plan, but it's not like he isn't capable of throwing the football. Two years ago, he passed for over 3000 yards and 30 touchdowns. But with that being said, the key for WVU's defense is to force the game into Morgan's arm, I think. They have only won one game when Tanner Morgan has been forced to throw more than 20 passes. 
Um, so to do that, the Mountaineers have to minimize the damage caused by the run game. It'll be interesting to see if Minnesota adds any wrinkles into their game plan with a new coordinator. Um, like we said already, Soraka's not coaching in the bowl game, but PJ Fleck has been very secretive about who's calling the plays. The last interview I saw, he said they know who it's going to be, but he wasn't really willing to share any information beyond that. So I wonder whoever's going to be calling that if they go a little unpredictable and maybe add in some pass plays. Yeah. I mean, they definitely couldn't pass less. Um, So (laughs) I I think that, you know, we should definitely expect to see a little bit more pass. Um, I I would expect probably a heavy dose of play action. Um, And I wouldn't, you know, be too surprised to see a similar game plan to open the game that Baylor implemented against us, which shredded us. Um, so that, you know, that's kind of a scary situation. Um, but it was interesting too, what you brought up about Morgan from two years ago, cause I was actually reading his, uh, scouting report, um, from one of the draft websites. And, you know, at one point he was legit pro pro prospect and last year he had a below average season. And this year, you know, 10 touchdowns, eight interceptions, um, 8.2 yards per attempt, which isn't too bad, but only 59% completion percentage. Um, just not really super inspiring, but some of that could be too by, uh, because by him just not being in a rhythm. Um, but he does seem to kind of thrive more in the short and intermediate range. Um, not someone who's going to really throw deep. Um, and, and looking at his targets too, it's kind of hard to evaluate the receivers on the team just because of how low volume they have. I mean, they had a couple of receivers who were averaging over 15 or 16 yards per catch, but they were getting about a catch and a half a game. So, what can you really get from that? Um, you know, the one guy who kind of does get consistent targets is Chris Ot- Ottman Bell. Um, he only has 35 receptions on the season, uh, 490 yards, but he does have six touchdowns, which is 60% of all the touchdown passes that Morgan has thrown. So there's definitely a clear favorite there when they do get close to the red zone. But, you know, it's really hard to kind of predict what they're going to throw at you. Um, you know, no pun intended, but, uh, if you look at what Morgan did a couple years ago, he's definitely capable of throwing at a higher volume, but how much is that going to throw him off? How much is that going to throw the team off when the game comes in? And is West Virginia going to be prepared for that? Yeah, I'm with you. It is very weird to see someone's stats drop off that much. Of course, last year was a shortened season. Um, I believe Minnesota had a losing record, but like I said, they didn't play their full schedule. It was just an odd kind of like a do-over year last year. But then you come into this year, I know it's a run heavy, but his his numbers are just way down. Like you said, Ottman Bell would probably, you know, be his go-to target. That's his favorite out there. He's got a couple 100-yard games, um, but only 490 total yards this year. But be on the lookout for Span Ford, who I believe is their backup tight end. He performed well in three of the last four games of the year. So it'll be interesting to see how our secondary holds up on the few pass plays that they do call. And I think that'll be the difference between winning and losing this game, because if we are fortunate enough to slow down their run game and maybe force a third and seven, third and eight, making them punt um, and not converting on more than likely passing being that far out. I think that'll be the difference between West Virginia winning this game or losing. Yeah. And real quick on Span Ford, and then I'm going to jump to kind of their tendencies, is he is six foot seven, 270 pounds. He is a monster. So, uh, you know, I, I, we said this about, um, I think it was 
Oklahoma State tight end or one of the teams we played tight end. I can't remember at this point, but uh, you know that we just didn't have anyone to match up against them, and we did a pretty good job against uh, them. So I'm really hoping that um, you know we can have a similar game plan to keep someone like him in check because you can't coach size. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And even though our secondary has played very well at the second half of the year, I mean we don't really have anyone in our secondary who can match up to a guy that tall and that big. Yeah. And so, you know, looking at Minnesota's tendencies, we know they want to run the ball, but the one thing I thought was interesting is out of all the teams that we've covered this year, um, Minnesota is the only team that I've analyzed that has ran the ball more on third down than they have passed the ball Um, on third downs. They're running the ball 60% of the time compared to 40% of the time. And, you know, if you listen to back to some of our old episodes, you know, you'll hear that usually on second down, it starts leaning a little bit more to the pass, but on third down, it's usually somewhere in the range of 65 to 70%. And Minnesota is the complete opposite. opposite. Now, obviously that could change with the play caller change, but it's just really interesting. Um, and then on uh, third and shorts, they run the ball 94% of the time. They have thrown the ball three times on third and shorts. So if I'm Minnesota's new play caller, first thing I would do, third and two, I'd go over the top. Because, you know, it's a tendency breaker. Um, and then uh, on third and seven, they only, com- there were third and seven plus, they only convert 19% of the time. So if West Virginia can hold steady on those first two downs and keep them to seven yards or deeper, then that's, you know, a pretty good bet that they're going to stop them. Now, obviously, this is still with the old play caller, so it could completely change coming into this week. They could end up you know, averaging third and eight and converting every third down in the game. And that would, you know, not surprise me because that'd be something that West Virginia would do. But, uh, you know, you kind of have to throw the book out on the offense because it's completely different. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And, yeah, that's shocking. Um, Yeah, I didn't look real deep into who the offensive coordinator who just got let go. I didn't really look at who, where he coached previously, but it is just kind of head scratching why he chooses to run as much as he does. When he does have a quarterback who has put up numbers in the past, you would think you would at least maybe do uh, a bit more of a balance, a bit more of a 50, 50, even if you do like to run the ball a lot. I mean, 50, 50 is still pretty run heavy in today's football. Yeah. And it's incredible that, you know, they, they performed as well as they did. I mean, eight and four is nothing to shake your head at. I would have loved to have been eight and four at WVU this year. Um, almost any year, that'd be fine, especially in the Big 12. So, um, you know, it worked for them. But would they have been better if they passed the ball more? Um, obviously, when teams are knowing that they're going to run the ball straight at them and they still do it, they're still winning games. So, um, obviously, that offensive line is a big advantage for them. Um, and that helps out a lot. So, maybe he's just trying to stay behind the big uglies and, Ride them to victory. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, you ready to get into defense? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and this is another big reason why running the ball can work. Minnesota has a tough defense. They seem to be top 10 in nearly every statistical category that I was looking at. The Golden Gophers only allow 18 points per game, which if that's all the more points your team is allowing – then you're going to have a chance to win almost every game you play in the fourth quarter. You're going to keep it tight, which is why Ohio State was the only team able to put Minnesota away in the second half. So uh, what do you think about the Golden Gophers defense? I mean, they're tough, like you said, across the board. Um, 285 yards per game on average, fourth in the nation. 
um, only allowing 36% on third downs, 4.8 yards per play, which is 17th in the nation, just all across the board. It's really hard to find a weak link on this team because they're just really good and they play really well as a unit. Cause when you look at their defense, you know, there might be one guy who really stands out as really, really good. Um, but there's really no one on the team who's elite. Um, so that's just a, a, a subject of good coaching, good position coaches, getting guys prepared. And, you know, in the big 10 where you have some dynamic offenses to be able to put up those numbers, is pretty impressive. Yeah, 100%. Um, And their offense, of course, helps them out with their style of play, but they rarely give up 300 total yards in a game, which is phenomenal. In eight games this year, they didn't allow their opponents to reach 300 total yards. In the four games that they did allow, those were very early in the season. And so they've really been on a hot streak to close out the regular season. And they only gave up 63 total yards when they versed Colorado this year. That's incredible. Wow. Those are like video game numbers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's not like they are, you know, particularly good at one thing over the other. They're pretty balanced across the board. I mean, rush defense, 14th at 3.5 yards per rush seventh at a hundred they're only allowing 100 yards per game which is seventh in the nation um you know pass defense their seventh in completion percentage at 55 percent um just all the way across the board you look at them and they're great um you know the really only thing that doesn't they don't seem elite at is making plays in the backfield uh they do have 52 tackles for a loss um and 20 sacks but there's really no stat no single player who kind of jumps off the page as someone who's consistently making plays in the backfield um really the the only guy is boy mafe i think that's how you say his name who has nine tackles for a loss and six sacks but outside of him i mean you know it's kind of a, a mixed bag everyone's kind of contributing and uh it's an interesting group yeah yeah their front is amazing like you just mentioned him um boy uh Mafe, I think is how you say it. I don't know. I looked it up earlier. Now I already forget. But uh, him and Thomas Rush, they combined for 11 and a half sacks. Um, Boye had six of them and Rush had five and a half. And so, um, you know, Boye is on the defensive line. Rush is a linebacker. Very, very good. I know their secondary is no joke because they only allow 184 passing yards per game, but it all starts up front with that defense. If West Virginia line struggles against them, it's going to be a rough night. And um, that also leads me to, you were just talking about it, their their rush defense. Um, it, it just scares me a lot. It's going to be a tough night for West Virginia because not only has our offensive line struggled this year, but Letty won't be in there to help Tony Mathis out with the workload. So, I mean, I'm pumped. Tony has worked hard all year to earn this opportunity. But it's a tall task to ask him to really carry the load. Do you? How, how much do you think they'll ask him to do? You think they'll give him 80, 90% of the carries? Because when Letty was in there, I mean, that's pretty much what he was doing was like 80, 90% of the workload. Yeah. I, I would kind of think that that's what they would, what they would do. I mean, Williams did play some snaps there. Um, he actually was this number two back earlier on in the season. Um, the math has kind of regained that back. So it, I think it really depends on what they see from Williams in practice. He's a true freshman. So um, it's a little bit tougher, but he's had a full season under his belt to prepare. So, you know, Maybe at best you see like a 65-35 split with Tony. I think I'd be comfortable with that. Um, obviously, you know, 80, you're kind of pushing it. But 
Um, whatever works best. I mean, Tony looked really good in that Kansas game, but can he handle 25, 30 carries against a really good defense? I think that's tough. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I don't think we're going to win this game by just running all over Minnesota, but the run game has to be respectable. Because as we know, if if you just sit back there and pass the ball 40 times with Daigie with no run game to be seen, they're just going to start teeing off on them. And our offensive line will not be able to handle their front consistently in um, pass protection. So um, I don't know. I keep trying to find ways where West Virginia will be able to hang tight with them. But the more and more I look at this Minnesota defense, it's just it's going to be a scary, scary game. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think that they're as – I think they're different than something someone like Oklahoma State who's super aggressive and just wants to kind of push you back and get in your face. They're much more, it seems like, um, schematically sound. Um, you know, looking at their players, you know, like I said earlier, they don't really have anyone who jumps off the page. But what they do have is, like, really no weak links. So, you know, when I look at the team, kind of the only areas that I, I saw that you could attack is up the middle – you know, their two defensive tackles are probably their lowest, um, you know, skilled, I guess, players on that team. The defensive ends are really, really good. But then right behind them, you have their best linebacker um, in Griffin. So if you're running up the middle, you got to kind of avoid him somehow. So that's a tough situation. Um, and then in the secondary, they don't have anyone who has like a poor coverage grade for PFF. All of them are above average to good. Um, obviously, they don't have anyone who's like a shutdown elite type corner or safety or anything, but they're all just solid. So it's really going to come down to, you know, the way I look at it is which receiver is going to go out there and outwork and, you know, out fight people for balls. And, you know, it could be Winston, Wright, It could be Bryce Ford Wheaton. It could even be someone like Caden Prather. It's really going to be about how the wide receiver can create the matchup advantage because Minnesota is not going to beat themselves. Yeah, 100%. And I think it was Coach Brown I heard talking on one of his um, interviews or press conference. He was saying how they're pretty um, basic on first and second down. Like, they don't really send all these blitzes. But on third down, once they get you in a situation where they want you, they will dial up a blitz. And so, I mean, like we said, Tony Mathis in the run game, they don't have to win the game. But you know, they do have to be a little productive and make sure we're not in third and nine, third and 10 every time we get the ball or else, you know, Minnesota's going to dial up a nice blitz and put Daigie in a bad situation. So we'll see how it goes. The one good thing West Virginia has going for them is the big 12 is just, you're running the gauntlet of some of the best defenses in the nation. And so, um, you know, they have played tough defenses time and time again. So maybe that experience will help. The only bad thing is, you know, Baylor, Oklahoma State, some of the best defenses in the Big 12, they we did not perform well against. But um, I still think, you know, having that experience um, will help them. It, it won't feel like they're too big for the stage because they've seen it before. Yeah, and I think the, you know, the one thing I liked about the – I didn't like it about the game plan against Oklahoma State, but I think it's something that could be applied here against Minnesota, and that's, you know – trying to go play action early and try to hit the deep shots early because that's something that's going to to help. We did it against Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State is extremely aggressive, and that's, you know, just bad news against them. But, you know, with a team like this who is much more schematically sound, they're not going to beat themselves on the early downs, I would say take shots because if you're going to try to do those 
12 to 15 play drives against Minnesota, I feel like that's going to be a lot tougher. I mean, especially with their third down defenses, especially with them not making a lot of mistakes. You know, you you have to get your point somehow. And if you can hit a big splash play early on, that could be the difference in the game. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's all I got for their defense. Do you have anything else? No, that was about it. I mean, like, you know, like I said, it's outside Boye Mafe. I don't know how to say it, but, um, you know, he's the only one who really stood out as like a, a stellar defensive player. Everyone else is just rock solid, and that's not bad at all. I mean, I'd rather have a team of rock solid players across the board than a team with one superstar player and a whole bunch of Joes. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I was watching the interview uh, Fleck gave once the bowl game was announced, and that's pretty much what he said. He said last year, maybe two years ago, their big problem was um, not everyone was doing their job. So even the good players were getting out of position, trying to make up for people not being in gaps where they're supposed to be. And he said this year, that's not the case. Everyone's doing exactly what they're supposed to do, being exactly where they're supposed to be. And that's why they've been so successful. So you nailed it. I mean, everyone's just well coached and, you know, you don't have to put up the amazing stats to have an elite defense. Yeah. And before we jump to our next segment, you know, I think it's interesting too, because that's, it's a winning game plan for smaller schools like Minnesota and West Virginia. I mean, you're not going to get those, you know, buckets full of four and five star recruits like the big schools do the blue bloods. So, you know, you can't always rely on having someone who ends up being a superstar. Um, and if you land one, then great. But, you know, it's better to have good coaches who can develop really sound players who don't make mistakes, who co- who play well within a scheme. And, you know, going back to some of the players we had last year, you know, Tyke Smith and Drayshawn Miller, they were great. But, you know, they were so good that sometimes they might have played a little bit out of scheme. And this year, we don't really have that one player. I mean, maybe you could argue uh, Stills might be that guy, but... Um, you know, even if it's not him, like you still just have a really rock solid group of guys. And we really haven't dropped off much from last year. The only thing that's changed is our turnovers caused has went down. Um, but other than that, I feel like we're in a pretty similar spot to the way our defense played. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And, uh, PJ Fleck is a very good coach. I think I'm a big fan of his, um, sure. So let's jump into recruiting. So Neil Brown and his coaching staff had a very successful early signing period. Prior to December 15th, the Mountaineers had 32 spots available on the roster. After December 17th, West Virginia had 20 kids commit plus two additional um, transfers with Dixon and Lawton. So that leaves 10 spots available for next year. And Coach Brown will have more recruits coming in on February 2nd signing day so i couldn't be any happier with how coach brown and his staff fared on the early signing day what are your thoughts yeah i think it's a good group i mean just to kind of recap for everyone at home who may not have followed us closely um the class included five defensive backs one quarterback nico um two wide receivers two tight ends three edge rushers three linebackers four offensive linemen one running back and one punter So that's a pretty good group across the, you know, if you pulled a group of fans and asked what we needed most, I'm sure that we addressed that. Um, So obviously with the 10 spots left, you know, you're going to, you know, add some more to those counts. I mean, definitely probably going to add some more linebackers, wide receivers with the transfers that we've had, maybe some more defensive backs um, and probably maybe one defensive lineman, just because that's really the only group position group we didn't address. But, you know, right now this, 
this is a pretty solid group. And, you know, we had some really quality guys come in and actually, um, you know, prepared a little, some blurbs on some of them just to kind of, um, you know, get, give people some familiarity. But uh, the top rated recruit was Jacoby Spells. Um, he's a four-star cornerback. Um, you know, and he's a guy who all these big colleges were going after. Five foot 11, 170 pounds, ran a 10.8, 100-meter time in high school, um, ranked the 27th best corner in the nation. Um, and, and, you know, I think he's a guy who could see playing time early. Um, next year, I mean, we do have Nick Troy Fortune coming back. We have Charles Woods and Daryl Porter. But his skill set um, and his ability to lock down and play physically, um, I know the coaching staff has already talked about how versatile he is uh, in there in the back end. And, you know, he's someone who I think early on, you know, might rotate in and out as a sub. But I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the season seeing him being a starter. Um, even though we do have a whole bunch of returning players, I think his talent level is that legit. Um, then obviously we all know Nico, but another guy I wanted to, to talk about real quick, kind of in uh, your wheelhouse of uh, your favorite position group, Tyler, Oliver Straw, the punter, uh, six foot three, 220 pounds. He's a big boy out of Australia, ranked the second best punter in the nation or not nation, I guess the world since he's from Australia. Right. But uh, he trained at um, pro pro kick Australia, which is a program that has produced five Ray guy award winners, which is the top punter in the college college um, ranks um, award winners. And, you know, I I think that's impressive. Um, You know, I had, I don't have a list of all the players who've been through there, but they're names that you would recognize. Um, But I, you know, I think he's someone who could come in right away with Tyler Sumter gone and start for the next four years of punter. And we all know, you know, it's fun to have some foreign guy back there doing wacky stuff and booting the ball all over the place. Uh, Always gets the crowd cheering. So looking forward to see Ollie play. Yeah, 100%. And uh, who was the Australian punter we just had a couple years ago? I was a big fan of him, too. I thought he was pretty good. Yeah, I forget his name. Uh, He was the one with the mustache, though, right? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. We've had a lot of fun kickers over the years, so I'm drawing a blank. But, uh, yeah, I actually was excited when I heard his name called. Um, Splinter can be a a difference maker for sure. Um, especially when you have stout defenses like West Virginia's had the last few years. If you have a punter who can aid your defense and pen guys deep, you know, that's huge. But, um, you know, the obvious names you kind of mentioned them that fans are really excited about Nico, Spells, Dixon, Lawton, and the West Virginia kid, Paige who has a very good size for a senior in high school playing tight end slash wide receiver, 6'4", 250 pounds. Every time I see his highlights, he looks like a giant compared to those other high school kids. So hopefully his game translates to the college level. Sometimes when I see highlights like that, I'm kind of scared that, you know, it's too easy being a giant amongst, you know, little boys sometimes. But uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll be a you know, a great addition. And he's from West Virginia. I love that Neil Brown's actually recruiting heavy in our state and, um, you know, grabbing these big names. Like they, they should play in Morgantown home hometown kid. Um, but yeah, another I- name that was exciting was Jeremiah Aaron, who's a Juco wide receiver from Texas. He had nearly 1000 yards this season, put up over 200 yards in a game. So, again, hopefully his production continues versus tougher competition, just like we were saying with Paige. 
But, um, you know, nothing's a guarantee with these recruits, but it's definitely exciting. Oh, yeah. And Paige, um, I have really high hopes for him. I think he's someone who could come in next year right away and at least take that number two tight end spot behind O'Loughlin because the one thing I thought was interesting about him is that, you know, not only did he play wide receiver before, you know, kind of putting on an extra weight to play tight end, but there are a lot of schools out there like Virginia Tech, I believe, was one of them who was actually recruiting him to play offensive line. You know, they thought he could bulk up more and move to tackle. Um, he definitely has the frame to do it, but, you know, it just kind of goes to show that he has some pretty good blocking fundamentals too. So while he does have some strong hands, you know, if that and his athleticism doesn't quite translate as a true freshman, blocking is something that's always needed. So having him go in there, not miss a block, that's huge. And then for yeah. Aaron, um, I, I thought I was excited about that too. I, You know, he's someone who I think, could definitely come in and spells and help spell Sam James is kind of that big play deep threat guy. But kind of what I look for for him most right off the right out of the gate is special teams. He was uh first place in all purpose yards last year in the JUCO. So um, you know, put him back there in punt return. I know we're losing Esdale. Um Malisevich is the other guy and Malisevich is just kind of a fair catch guy. So put someone back there with some wheels um who can break something open and you know, having someone like him with Winston right back there, um, if he's as legit as his stats show, um, what are kicking teams going to do except for kick it out of the back of the end zone? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I feel like it's been years since we've had a very, very exciting guy taking kits, kicks back. I mean, I'm I'm thinking Tavon. I'm sure we've had someone in between Tavon and now, but uh, that's the last guy I can remember that made it really exciting every time he caught a kick. But, um, yeah, Paige will be huge. I'm hoping WVU starts using more tight ends in general. I know this year it's probably not Coach Brown's fault because Michael Laughlin was hurt. Um, and so you were kind of short using two tight end sets. But when O'Laughlin and Banks were both healthy and playing, they used two tight ends a lot, and it helped our run game out so much. And even though they didn't have a lot of catches, every time those two guys caught the ball, you know, it seemed like they were plowing someone over or trying to make a move. I, uh, we talked about it in another podcast, but I, I saw the numbers where how much teams use tight ends now. It's definitely trending upward, and I feel like West Virginia doesn't. Like I said, maybe they want to but couldn't because O'Laughlin's hasn't exactly been healthy all year, but um, – I'm really hoping with Paige and O'Laughlin next year healthy that the those numbers really go up for us. Yeah, and I think part of the problem there is, you know, was that Dana just really didn't use tight ends. I mean, he brought he brought in guys and then just wouldn't use them. Um, I forget the one guy who uh, came and in Wesco. from Miami. Yeah, Wesco. Wesco was good, but um, the guy who was behind him, um, who ended up transferring, he can't. He transferred from Miami. His name's escaping me, but he was a super athletic tight end. I thought he would fit perfectly in Holgerson's offense. But, you know, Wesco was really the only guy who you know, Dana used, and that was towards the end of his tenure here. Um, and the the room was pretty bare whenever Neil took over, so he's kind of having to rebuild that. And having O'Laughlin and then Banks, who unfortunately transferred, um, you know, that made the room a little bit better. But everyone else behind them is young. So um, having someone who's as physically mature as Corbin Page is, is huge because he's someone who should, in theory, be able to step on and add depth right away. Yeah, 100%. Um, that's all I got. You got anything else? Yeah. Um, so well, one more thing. Um, I just wanted to talk about uh, Kerry Martin. Um, he announced that he is going to Akron 
um, which I, I kind of surprised me because that was a much smaller school. I figured he would at least ended up in maybe like the Conference USA or something like that. But he should play right away. I mean, you know, a lot of people kind of forget um, that he was a Big 12 freshman All-American. Um, he played a lot as a freshman, obviously sat out last year, had the unfortunate incident with uh, Ken- Koning, Kenning, however you say his name. Um, that, that led to Kenning being fired. And I, I think a lot of fans held that against him, but um, you know, I see he's, he is still a West Virginia kid and I still wish him the best and I hope he succeeds at Akron. I think that's a great place for him because he's going to start right away and he's going to get to, you know, potentially be the star of that defense because he does have some real talent. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he already proved that his freshman year and um, you know, of course there was a lot of behind closed doors, issues between him and the coaches or whatever it was i don't know who's to blame for it all so i'm not going to act like i do but um without a doubt he has talent i was kind of shocked he went to akron too some people want to knock him for it um you know i'm sure the real big schools didn't come call him because he just hasn't really done anything in a couple years so big schools aren't gonna you know take a shot and maybe waste a roster spot on someone who hasn't played that long. So I assume that's why he went to a smaller school, but um, you know, maybe that could be good for him. You know, not a lot of limelight. He can just sit there and, you know, he'll definitely be one of the most talented guys on the field when he plays. So uh, good for him. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's already graduated, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a smart kid. Um, You know, if that's where he picked to go, I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, he made that choice for a reason, so it'll be the right place for him. And, yeah, hopefully he has some success there. Definitely. All right. Well, yeah, that's all I got. Um, as always, thanks for listening, guys. We do want to say we're going to record a basketball podcast tonight as well. So if you're listening to this, please remember we have another new one that we're going to be dropping as well. Um, so please listen to both of them. We'll be talking about UAB and Youngstown State getting ready for conference play in just uh just a week or two so um thank you for listening please uh follow us on spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening youtube even um please follow us on social media look for the voice of motown podcast do you have anything to add um make sure you follow us on twitter facebook instagram um and if you guys ever have any thoughts feedback questions or just want to chat sports feel free to shoot us a message in our dms or our, our messenger and we'll be happy to reply yeah 100 and always look for brandon's articles on the voice of motown's uh website or even any of their social medias he writes articles every week and he does a lot of research and does a nice job so please support him there as well so for the voice of motown podcast thank you guys yeah, thanks everyone